This week on the 167, we talk about John the Baptist with Pastor Rick and only Pastor Rick because this guy screwed up the video. But welcome to the audio on the 167. Hey, welcome back to the 167. We're here with Pastor Rick. Hey, good to be here. Our pastor in chief, right? I like that. Call me chief. I do call you chief. I know, all the time. I appreciate it. Um, so we're here, we're talking about Sunday's message where we were in our second week of this series called Disillusioned, and uh, we're talking about John the Baptist, so we're going to do a little recap on that, but yeah. I thought it was excellent message. I Thank you. It. Um, I always, I love John the Baptist. I always think that he's this really interesting character that nobody spends enough time on. Cause like Jesus says that there's none, um, more, more potent and powerful than John's message. He even includes Elijah in that, but we don't really hear much about John the Baptist. Yeah. And he does seem kind of like this crazy dude, you know, like a man's man, but a little edgy, you know, maybe he's rough. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I want to be like him, but the whole locust and honey thing, and then it starts getting weird and it's, it's uh he's paleo. Okay. We'll go with that. Maybe he was, he was gluten-free <laughs> just the straight honeycomb and the locusts, yeah. just, just the protein. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that because I wanted to get into that mindset because here you have John the Baptist and the the story that you told was where John's already in prison and he kind of sends his disciples to kind of carry a message to Jesus and he's like, "Are you really? Are you the? Are you the dude?" Yeah. And they come back and it's Jesus' reaction. But I mean, like here you have John the Baptist who his whole ministry has been preparing the way for the Lord, and what people don't focus on is he's Jesus' cousin, right? Like there's a whole story where. Mary goes to see Elizabeth and Elizabeth prophesies. So like John is, has been interacting with Jesus, like, you know, pre-birth, like he touches his mom, she prophesies over Jesus and says he's going to be the Messiah. Yeah. So like they've, they've spent life together. This isn't like, you know, a new relationship. They, they were friends, cousins. They did life together. He knew Jesus, uh, made a decision uh, early on to say, man, you are the guy, you are the Messiah. I know that. And everything in John's life pointed everybody else to Jesus. Well, I think our lives are like that. You pointed that out in your sermon where John gets that revelation, not because he's like, that's my baby cousin and I love it. But it's like, he gets that relation from the Holy Spirit says, right. I am certain of this. And yet his circumstances have led him to a point, his trials, whatever you want to call it, have led him to a point where he's going, maybe. Maybe and that's not right. Yeah, you know? and I I think again, there's just my thoughts, uh, but I think it's because everyone at some level wrestles with this idea of because I, then you should, mm. right? So because I'm your cousin, uh, because I've been faithful, because you know I stood up for what was right, now you should. And then he had an expectation, you know, to get him out of there. You should notice me. You should, you know, take care of me. 
And I think all of us wrestle with that, you know, because I have, you know, been going to church, because I quit drinking, doing drugs, because I, whatever it is that we feel like we did, and that somehow we deserve something from God now, like you owe it to me. What a shallow debt we must owe God that we can do a few good things and then all of a sudden he owes us. Yeah, but I I think it's just part of our um, humanity, you know, part of the human nature that we wrestle with. And so we, like John, um, you know, have that tendency. Yeah, I I always just like to think about like, what must he have gone through? Because, and I I think that we get answers like this all, all the time where John, he sends his followers to Jesus and they say, are you the Messiah? Are you, you know, the one? And Jesus basically confirms that he's like, you know, like, hey, you should go back and tell John what you've seen. And, and like the implication that he's giving is, yes, I am the one. And they go back and tell John. And then the next thing that happens to yeah. John is not that Jesus breaks him out of jail. No. Um, and that's the frustrating part. So it's that unmet expectation. That's what he wanted. Yeah. Like Are you going to come? Ex- and Yeah. His expectation was he's going to go, you know, the disciples are going to go to Jesus and then they're going to come back and they're going to release him or Jesus is going to do some miracle. But no, that's not what happens. And again, I think it's that understanding. He even petition for it. It's not like Jesus yeah. goes to, you know, the you know the queen that had put him in there and like tries to appeal to her heart. He doesn't no. do any of that. No. And again, it's, it's part of that expectation that we have. Um, but what what Jesus wants to communicate back to John is pretty simple, which is this. Don't let what I'm doing over here deter you from what I want to do over here in your life. Mm. And I, again, just my own thought, what I think um, the concept here is what we want as people, what John wanted is for things to be fair, right? So it says that he heard what Jesus was doing over there, and it wasn't what he was doing for John and if things were fair... Yeah, why not me? Yeah, so you should be doing for me what you're doing for them. Again, same things that we wrestle with. Why are you blessing them? Why did they get the promotion? Why did they get married? Why did they, whatever it is that you wanted, that you've been asking for, that you didn't get, it's not fair. And it didn't seem fair to John, but Jesus said, hey, you know, Blessed is is the one, blessed are those who don't fall away because of me. What I'm doing over here should not cause you to stumble over there. Yeah. Well, I even think about the irony where John could be mad and be like, well, I went to bat for Jesus and I died. I'm like, well, he's going to die too, dude. Yeah. (laughs) You got beheaded. You probably got off a little bit easier than Jesus did. Yeah. It was uh, instantaneous for you. Yeah. yeah. And you get to be, you know, and I think about the thief where Jesus is like, Jesus doesn't look at the thief. He's like, well, I'm going to let you down at this cross. He's like, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And it's like, our reward is never quite what we think that it is. Exactly. So anyway, it, this whole thing uh, you know, just illustrates fairly vividly that we are really close to uh, being like the people in the Bible. We're not that un, mm-hmm. uh, you know, indifferent or undifferent. Um, Dissimilar. Dissimilar. There you go. I couldn't really pull the word out. Married to an English professor. There you go. Boom. So I, I want to focus in for just a second and ask you about this because um, Jesus' response when John sends his disciples like 
tell me you're the Messiah. Just tell me you're the one. Tell me I haven't wasted my life. Jesus looks at him and he doesn't actually say, tell him it's okay. Tell him I said this. He says, go back and tell him what you saw. Like they saw Jesus. He says the blind, you know, I almost said the blind walk. (laughs) The blind can see, (laughs) the lame walk, you know, the deaf can hear. Go tell John what you've seen me do. And that's all that he really responds with. Yeah, and I think, again, part of that is the process of Jesus saying, like, you know, now you need to work that out on your own. This, your faith has to be your faith. You have all the evidence that you need, you've seen, and now it's still happening. So I'm just going to affirm what you already know, what you've already seen, and you have to decide, are you going to believe it? Mm. Um and it's the same thing that we have to do. We have the evidence. We have the the things that we need. And I think and oftentimes Jesus says, okay, you have the evidence. Wrestle through it. What would you say is some of that evidence? So like somebody's like, I have, I have the evidence. What do you mean I have the evidence? What would be some of those evidence things that you would encourage them to go? You already have it. You're just not like, I, I do that with my daughter sometimes where I'm like, no, that's in your room. Just go look for it. You know, like. Yeah. So we've all had encounters and experiences with God. Uh, Sometimes we try to discount them. Uh, We try to rationalize them in other ways other than, hey, that was a God encounter. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if we were to take a, a serious look at life and the encounters of life and to see God's hand in our life, we can see very clearly who he is. Uh, in fact, you know, he says, just look around, look at nature, look at, uh, you know, no one has an excuse for not knowing about God. You know, I've, yeah. I've made myself very obvious, like I'm, I'm here. Uh, so the evidence is around. Uh, if you want to go on an intellectual journey, then do the research project of discovering manuscripts. It will be laborious. It mm-hmm. will take time. But if you really want to know, go on that journey and the evidence is there. If you want to take a faith journey and just look at what you have seen and heard and experienced yourself, the evidence is there. Either way, if you want to go on a deep dive, you will find God. Well, and we live in the in the age of the internet. You know, I, I even saw on Instagram the other day that they're making, because a while back they came out with that, the Genesis movie. Mm-hmm. And like, it, it was great. Like, I have it. Uh, if anybody needs a copy of it, like, I can get you one. Um, like, it was fantastic to go through the science of it, to go on that deep dive. They released all this extra footage. They're going to do another one. And it's like, there's stuff out there and resources that, I mean, if you just did a quick Google search, you could start to look at and kind of piece through and do the work on that. Do they actually have videos of the creation? Yeah, like, like they have Jesus. digital pictures yeah. of... Like when Jesus, you know, the son and the father were like, yeah. hey, let's create... That'd Absolutely. Be, I mean, that would be Dinosaurs incredible. on recording and yeah. have the whole thing. That no, would be incredible. I, always, I do that to my kids all the time, though, where like Vivian would be like, this is a picture of the universe. And I look at her and go, who took that picture? And yeah. she's like, uh... I'm like, this is an artist rendering. Yeah, <laughs> so and the like, funny thing is, and I'll talk a little bit about it um, when I talk in the final message of this series. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing oh, spoiler is, alert. Yeah, even if we had live footage of God creating all of this, there would be people that would be like, 
Yeah, I don't believe that. That's something like that doesn't make sense. Well, you see that today. We have so much video footage, <laughs> and you'll have people come out and tell a blatant lie and yeah. go, "No, this is exactly what happened." You'd be like, "We we have yeah. that video footage," and they're like, "That's not what's happening." Yeah. So it uh, there's no amount of evidence that's going to convince everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still going to be you know people who question. Uh, so again, I just say if if you want, like you have to decide. Do I really want to believe? And if you do, and if you go on that journey, you're going to find everything you're you're looking for. Absolutely. And that, again, brings us back to John, where it's like, you know, it's not just, hey, look, the lame walk and the blind see. And it's like, you yourself were inhabited by the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Like you said, here below, you know, here's the Son of God whose sandals I'm not, you know, fit to tie. And you baptized me. You saw God, the Holy Spirit descend like a dove in heaven and God open up and speak out loud. Here's my son as well, please. And like in these moments of doubt, we forget this lifetime of God speaking yeah. to us and leading us. And and we convince ourselves in this 30 seconds of maybe my that entire years of worth of God is just false. Because it's that sense of entitlement. It's that sense of, but look what I did for you. And now here I am. And Jesus mm-hmm. just saying to John, just, I'm still doing everything that, you said I would do. I'm still the guy. So don't fall away because of your circumstance. Yeah. And Here's my, what's happening. Which is temporary. Right. Here's my, what's happening. My dad used to say, a lot of people aren't asking the question, what have you done for me? It's what have you done for me lately? Right. Yeah. So. Um, you didn't, you put this in the notes and I wanted to kind of uh, dive a little deeper on it. You said, do what faith would do. And so uh, like, what I take away from that is when you're saying do what faith would do is almost kind of that imagine of going, okay, if I had great faith, what would I do? And you're like, oh yeah, if I had great faith, I'd do this, 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 then go do it. Right. So like, can you give me like an example of that? Like something that's practical that people might go through and, and go, yeah, like if God came to you and you're supposed to, can you help me flush that out? Uh, it, so if you take any practical example, you just pull one out of the air. Uh, so you're struggling in... Uh, your finances. Mm-hmm. I'll just pull that one out of the air. Sure. So you're struggling financially, and you say, okay, I, I kind of believe. I have a belief, but I kind of don't believe. So I know what God's Word says, but it doesn't really make sense. So do what faith would do. So take what little you do know about being a good manager of the resources that you've been given. Take that and say, I'm just going to do what I know I should do. I'm going to, it might just be a little bit, but I'm going to take it and I'm going to do what faith would do. And I'm just going to act on it, not focus on all the negative things or all the things it could be or all the uncertainties. I'm just going to lean in to this part because that's what faith would do. Faith would just do it. And as you do what faith would do, then you get to see God in action. You get mm-hmm. to see the result of that. If you're always questioning and you refuse to do what faith would do, then you're always stuck in that place of, yeah, but what if, and what if this, and what... Like, no. So just make the choice to say, I don't fully understand it, and that's what holds us back, I think. We want to fully comprehend every aspect of it. Mm. And when we don't fully understand how it all works, then we're hesitant. But faith is trust. Faith is the uncertainty. 
And so just do what faith would do, and faith would say, God, I trust you with what I do know. Well, that's a different thing for people, because I feel like then my task isn't to understand the whys of what I would do or exactly how it's going to work out. But like you said, when it's do what faith would do, my task becomes understanding better what faith would do. So it's like, you know, if it's like, oh, I'm having trouble with my finances, and I'm like, I'm going to max out my credit cards and trust in faith. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what faith would do. But like faith would be able to say, you know, like I got laid off my job and I'd be like, God's going to provide, you know, like God's going to provide for me. He's going to provide another job. He's going to make sure that I'm fed. He's going to have my faith community rally around me. I don't have to worry and have anxiety about that. You know, it's like, and that's like, if I can understand what better, like so that becomes my task is understanding what a healthy faith would do. And then my second task is proceeding in that, you know, like, and not necessarily, because I think that most people have that backwards where they go, oh, my, my job is to understand, you know, exactly what yeah. I'm supposed to do or how this is going to work out. And all, and it's like, you know, cause it's like that Indiana Jones scene where he steps out on the bridge. Everybody knows when he says only, you know, like, you know, you have to take a leap of faith. Everybody knows what that meant. Right. Nobody knows what that, you know, if that means he's going to fall, like they don't know the results of that, but everybody knows what he had to do. And then he just had to do it. Yeah. So if you take it into another realm, so into your marriage or relationship, and you think, gosh, this, this isn't what I expected, and you begin to pray. So all of us have a, a, a level of understanding of what God's desire is in a healthy marriage. You might not know it fully, but you know a little bit. So you say, God, I know this much. I trust you in this much. And so I'm going to start living that. Mm. I'm just going to put it into practice. And I'm going to trust you in this process. So I'm going to start loving like I know I should love. I'm going to start serving like I know I should serve. I'm going to just start living my life as a spouse the way I know I should. And I'll leave the rest of it up to you. Because I'm just going to do what faith would do. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I'm just going to step out in faith and trust that you're going to come in. So you can apply that to any area uh, it's not just money. It's not just relationship. Any area, just do what you know you should do. Do what faith would do and let, let God come through. Well, I think that's a powerful challenge to us to to reframe that and to do that and then to take that yep. first step. So we hope you guys are encouraged by that and you take that first step. You do what faith would do. Um, so we'll be back and talk more next week about week three. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Welcome back to Think Differently. We're in a series right now on Job. Uh, We've been talking over the last two sessions about um, the book of Job and just really addressing the question of, does Job, does the book of Job uh, address why God allows suffering in this world? And my answer to that is, I think it does, but you're not going to like the answer. So uh, we've been talking the last couple of weeks, go back and review it, go back and check out some of the old podcast episodes, because I'm telling you, so far what we've seen um, kind of from Job is, uh, we've seen that prologue where Satan, uh, the accuser, he's getting ready and he's building his case and he's saying, listen, God, the only reason that people you know, like you, the only reason people serve you is because you do good things for them. God says that's not true. And so they um, open it up and they open the discussion towards Job. And so God says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you the opportunity to build your case against this. And so the accuser goes, he takes everything from Job, every last dollar that he owns. He takes his family away from him. He kills his children. He puts his marriage on the rocks. And then he afflicts Job with a disease. And so Job starts to ask the question from God, why are you doing this? 
And we're going about to see how he has three friends come and they make three different kind of accusations. And we're going to cover that next time about their arguments about why God would allow suffering. But all over and over again, you, me, I've seen other Christians do it. They want to know this question of, is God just and is he righteous? Is God good? Is he merciful? Because we see things that happen in the world and we say, how could a good God let this happen? And so the conclusion that Job kind of comes from, his friends kind of come from, they all come from a premise of, if I am good and wise, good things will happen to me. And if I am bad or stupid, then bad things will happen to me if I make unwise choices. And here's the real kicker, because um, in the story there, God says, none is more righteous than Job. And this exists at a time before Jesus Christ um, was here on earth and died for us. And so you have Job put up as a righteous person, which means he's a good person. He's a person that obeys God's laws. And if he breaks the laws, he offers the right sacrifices, and he's dwelling right in that pocket of righteousness uh, towards God. And so um, many times when people come to me, I'm just like, listen, man, you know, like Job was a righteous dude. Like he was not making bad choices. And yet here we are in the New Testament and you and I, if we've given our lives to Jesus Christ, are both righteous. And so I don't think that righteousness has to do with whether or not there are bad things that happen to us on this earth. You can look at it and say righteousness cannot be an issue of divine punishment because you and I are righteous in the eyes of God. When Satan stands as our accuser, Jesus Christ says, he may have done that, but I've already paid for it. It's like it's kind of like the principle of double, double jeopardy. If you're not familiar with that, if I get convicted of um, murder, um, there's actually a really famous movie of Ashley Judd that does this, where her husband fakes his death and she gets accused of his murder and she serves a jail sentence for his murder. And so when she gets out, she discovers he's still alive. And that actually means that she can actually murder her husband in the middle of the street and she would not be sent back to prison because she cannot serve two sentences for the same crime. And so Jesus is saying that he has already served our sentence and therefore no one else can serve the sentence for that crime. So uh, our righteousness th doesn't really factor into this, you know, this idea. I think that righteousness in God comes with benefits and blessings. So again, if you're making good financial choices, if you're tithing, if you're doing those things, God's going to bless you. He's going to keep his promises to you. And that's actually what we see in the beginning of this, where Job has this incredible blessing and um, the accuser actually says, well, it's because these rules that you've set up that if you do this, then good things will happen to you and, and these kind of things. But if you take that away, he'll forsake you. And so God kind of goes against the rules and does that. Now, people struggle with the question of if God allows suffering, does he will it in my life? And the New Testament actually covers this. The New Testament covers a number of places why God will allow suffering in your life. Okay. Like it's not that he wills it but he allows it in your life. He sees it coming down the road and he says, I think that they can take this one. It's going to make them stronger. And he allows our faith to be tested, not for spite's sake, not because he's cruel, but because he has a purpose in it that we can't see. And so this goes back to the flaw in the thinking of, if I am good, I will only get good things. And so if you believe in that, it's inevitably going to lead you to the conclusion that God doesn't run the world according to justice and righteousness and being good, just, and fair, because good people will still suffer bad things. And so a lot of people, this drives them away from God. And it's kind of funny. I always joke sometimes, um, 
that Christians, a lot of Christians believe in witchcraft when it comes to prayer. They believe that if they can get the spell right, they can get whatever they want. And I think a lot of Christians in the sense, deep down inside, believe in karma. They believe if I do good things, God will give me good things. And if I do bad things, God will punish me. And that's not a biblical principle. That's karma. That's an Eastern um, kind of, it's prevalent um, in Eastern pantheistic monism. It's prevalent in India and, um, oh man, some in Buddhism, um, but, you know, some distant, some different Eastern religions um, where the, the principle of karma is you do good things and the universe will do good things back to you. So that's what fairness is, right? So that's what most people want to believe in. They want to believe that God is fair. And I don't think that that's what the Bible shows us because grace itself is not fair. So no matter the ratio of my expectation, like, is that I should have nice things. So what I mean by that is kind of everybody believes that they are good, right? It doesn't matter how many bad things you do. You think that you are always more good than you are bad. And that's most likely not true. Um, But we all see ourselves that way. And so we all see ourselves as somebody, well, I'm a mostly good person. And, you know, one, that's probably not true. Two, in the Bible, it says it doesn't matter if you sin one time, that's all it takes. And so the message of the Bible is not if I'm good enough, it's undeserved grace. But here you have a character like Job and Job is righteous and we are made righteous by Jesus, and yet we will still face temptations and trials and suffering. And here you have Job who is righteous and will still face temptations, trials, and sufferings. So if being good is not a guarantee of blessings, then why do it? That's the argument of the accuser. The argument of the accuser is Christians will stop doing good things if they are stopped promising blessings. So if God doesn't promise you a blessing for good things, if you do a good thing, and you are rewarded by the universe, something bad happens to you, that is because God is not fair, and God is mean, and God doesn't care about you, and God will allow you to suffer even though you do good things. And so those are the conclusions that a lot of people get drawn to. And those are going to be the arguments that we look at from Job's friends. And this is the bet that the accuser is making against Job. If you stop blessing him, he will walk away. And I just want you to stop to think about how many Christ followers that you have seen walk away from the faith. Maybe you've walked away from the faith. And how many of those relate to the fact of, I went through a bad time. Something happened to me and I determined that God was not good. You know, I talked to a number of people where they may have lost a child, you know, a young child. Uh, I knew a friend of mine who lost a child when they were about six years old. And their takeaway from that was, why would a good God let this thing happen? Therefore, God must not Either there is no God or God is not fair and I don't want to serve him. And so this argument is so potent. And we're going to look at what that argument is from Job's three friends that come in and uh, kind of serve as his accusers. And they kind of serve as representations of very large swaths of theological people. So Job demands, uh, we have Job, like I said, he's basically, everything's been taken from him. He's sitting in a pile of ash. His friends are going to come and start talking about, you know, why he's a bad person or why God would do this. Um, But Job eventually is going to keep responding to them, but he's going to keep praying to God to please show up and answer him why he's doing this and how it's not fair. And so we're going to see that over the next couple of um, episodes. So stay tuned. We'll see you back here next week. If you enjoyed this episode of The 167, make sure you like, subscribe, follow, get notified. 
leave a five-star rating and a positive review. Tell all your friends to listen as well. Make sure you go over to newlifegardener.com and check out all that we have to offer as a church and check out our messages online as well. Thanks for listening.